reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Benzodiazepines are classified as sedative hypnotic medications. Good examples of the benzodiazepines are clonopin, Xanax, and Valium. Sedative hypnotics rank among the most widely used prescription drugs in the United States, producing a calming effect, drowsiness, and facilitating sleep. They're also used to reduce anxiety before procedures or surgery, during surgery, or in patients with an anxiety disorder. As a pain medicine, though, they aren't particularly effective, and combined with other sedating drugs like opioids or alcohol can be fatal. When we use a benzodiazepine for more than a month, physical dependence typically develops. This isn't addiction, though. The body adapts to the regular or chronic use of the medicine, and withdrawal symptoms occur if the drug is stopped abruptly or even tapered. Less well-known is that patients who stop using benzodiazepines may not go through a simple acute withdrawal process. Instead, 10 to 15% of patients may experience a new, unexplained illness, leading to severe and disabling symptoms that can last several years and maybe indefinitely. It's been called a protracted withdrawal syndrome, and more recently, the benzodiazepine injury syndrome. On today's show, we'll hear from Carrie Silvernail, our first guest. Her five-and-a-half-year battle from benzodiazepine withdrawal forced her into retirement, produced migrating body pain, and led to intense phonophobia, among a host of other symptoms. Then, a leading specialist in the field, Dr. Stephen Wright, uncovers the details of this hidden syndrome while recommending measures for prevention and treatment. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, and the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Carrie Silvernail is a retired nurse and benzodiazepine survivor. She'll take us through her five-and-a-half-year journey of benzodiazepine withdrawal. What did she experience, and how is she doing today? Let's find out. Carrie, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Tell us why you were prescribed benzodiazepines. Well, I had been experiencing some irregular uh, heart rate and some back pain, and I visited my physician who prescribed Alprazolam or Xanax for me to try. For the anxiety? Yes, it was for the anxiety related that I was experiencing related to the arrhythmia, but also there was thought that the, the benzodiazepine would help with the back spasms as well. How often were you taking it? I took it as often as a few times a week, mm-hmm. and as, as little as, you know, maybe once a month. Okay. And uh, yet I found myself in a very uncomfortable situation with it. Yeah, we'll find out more about that later. Uh, Carrie, was the drug effective for the back spasms and for the anxiety? Yes, at first. Oh, 
You were telling me earlier that you noticed new medical problems when you were taking the Xanax. What were those? After taking it intermittently for a year or two, I started getting some very severe pelvic pain and the back pain increased. Along with this, I started having morning anxiety and panic, mm-hmm. and just general malaise, just not feeling well at all. Yeah. I was having night sweats and nervy pain that would travel throughout my body. And this increased over a few months wow. until the pelvic pain became so acute, I, I needed to seek help again. So I went back to my physician. And what did your physician do? My internal medicine doctor sent me to a neurologist and to gynecology. I had a pain consultation. Mm-hmm. I had a lumbar MRI, pelvic ultrasounds. I lots of lots of lab work. Wow, I mean, what an extensive workup. What did it all show? I had a clean bill of health. Well, that must have been great news, although you didn't have a diagnosis. What did you do next? I went to a physical therapist who specializes in women's pelvic health, mm-hmm. and she determined that I had just lots of muscle spasming happening in my pelvic floor and in my pelvic girdle. And so we worked on relieving that with biofeedback and massage. The pain was so uncomfortable. Uh, my gynecologist then suggested a vaginal application of Valium, another benzodiazepine. Okay. So at that point, I was taking two benzodiazepines and the uh, Neurontin. So you were taking the intravaginal Valium, the Xanax, and the Neurontin, which is used for nerve pain. Were they helpful? I was so sedated from this cocktail of medication I I don't know how clear my perception was, Mm -hmm. and um, the anxiety and panic came back to a greater degree, along with suicidal ideation and depersonalization and derealization, and I had never had these before. It was extremely frightening and put me into a worse condition than I was prior. I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, you must have felt completely out of control. You were on Xanax for almost two years, and then you added intravaginal Valium for a short period of time. What did you do next? When I started doing my research, I found that some people have pain syndromes related to taking benzodiazepine. Mm -hmm. Initially, they may get the relief from anxiety and pain. Some, unfortunate many, can then develop these pain syndromes. So I found the works of Dr. Heather Ashton, who was very experienced in working with patients who had had benzodiazepine uh, exposure and had developed anxiety disorders, panic disorders, and pain syndromes after their use. Okay. Now, you had probably heard about withdrawal or acute withdrawal from benzodiazepines. Did that make you afraid to stop them? Yes, I was. And that is what drove me to do such a very slow taper. Mm -hmm. And, And this is an important piece of coming off of benzodiazepines that there are risks associated with decreasing too quickly. It can be too much of an assault on your nervous system. Right. You know, some physicians, in fact, our upcoming guest, Dr. Wright, recommend discontinuing benzodiazepines very slowly, even over like a 12 to 18 month period. 
Did you taper off both of the benzodiazepines, that is the Valium and the Xanax, at the same time? No, I didn't. It is recommended that if you happen to be on two benzodiazepines, that you taper off the short-acting benzodiazepine first, and that was the Xanax. Mm -hmm. So I tapered off of that first. That took me um, many months, a year and a half Mm. to be exact. And then I started tapering off of the Valium. That took me another year and a half. Well, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. I I don't think clinicians or patients would ever imagine that it would take that long to taper a benzodiazepine. Oh, Dr. Christo, I agree. I had no idea. And you were working as a nurse, too. Right. I was a little bit shamed. I mean, I felt like I should know better. This should not have happened to me. Mm -hmm. But it's not about that at all. It's not. This can happen to anyone. And there are some people who are more profoundly affected by these medications. And had I not experienced it myself, I don't know that I I would have believed it. Exactly. More people are familiar with acute withdrawal from benzodiazepines that typically lasts anywhere from one to four weeks or maybe even a month and a half. It's the minority of people, though, that seem to experience this long-term withdrawal that you're talking about, known as a protracted withdrawal withdrawal syndrome that can last two or more years. I mean, I think I read a report that it lasts sometimes up to 10 years. I still, at five and a half years off of all medications, I still don't feel like I have fully recovered. Mm -hmm. So you're right in that it's widely believed that once your body has metabolized every bit of this medication that you are going to be fine. And that is true with some drugs. But if the drug has caused damage to your receptor sites or other parts of your physiology, you may be looking at a very long recovery time. Or you may not recover, which is, I believe, why Dr. Wright calls this a benzodiazepine injury syndrome, not just a withdrawal syndrome from which you will recover. No, that's that's a very good way. I'm 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 really pleased with that terminology. We're not just clearing the drug, but we are healing from the damage that these drugs cause. Right. You know, it sounds like in general during this protracted withdrawal syndrome or benzodiazepine injury syndrome that patients often experience insomnia, perceptual disturbances, tremors, sensory hypersensitivities and anxiety. Yes, widespread body tremors and tics. That's very common when coming off of benzodiazepines. Uh, I went in to have my eyes checked many times thinking that there was something off with my contact lenses or something off with my glasses. And uh, my eyes would work up just fine, but I still ha- I had visual disturbances. What kind? Oh, blurred vision and um, t- my right eye saw things about six inches lower than my left. Hmm. That was very difficult because it would inspire dizziness, and of course, I couldn't drive. I didn't drive for years wow. while while tapering. I was unable to safely drive, and um, so the the visual disturbances were interesting <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> well, it sounds like it. What about an increase in sensitivity to taste, to smell, or even to noise called phonophobia? Well, it was actually all of those, and it was as if 
any stimulation or any input was overinterpreted by my body. Walking on a windy day was almost unbearable for me because I had the wind blowing and hitting my body. Mm-hmm. I had the movement of the trees and leaves and then the sound of the wind. All of those things made the walk miserable. And that is something that I had previously loved doing. Yeah. But the sensation around all of that input was unbearable. I would actually start feeling physical pain and nausea with it. Wow, just terrible. Carrie, we've got to take a break, but I want to thank you so much for being here today on Aches and Gains. Dr. Christo, thank you very much for having me. We'll hear more from Carrie in our next show when she talks in detail about symptoms related to benzodiazepine injury syndrome, as well as what she recommends to others thinking about using these medications. Up next is Dr. Stephen Wright, expert on benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Horizon Therapeutics, who believes that science and compassion must work together to transform lives for people living with rare and rheumatic diseases. Discover more about Horizon's mission at horizontherapeutics.com. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo, and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Dr. Stephen Wright is a family medicine physician as well as a pain and addiction medicine specialist. He's published and presented on benzodiazepines and their withdrawal syndrome. He's also a medical consultant for the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Dr. Wright, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. You know, aside from pain, benzodiazepines are prescribed for a variety of disorders like anxiety, epilepsy, insomnia, and even tinnitus. How do these medicines actually work in the body? These chemicals attach to the GABA receptor. The GABA receptor primarily responds in the brain to GABA, gamma immunobutyric acid, which is involved in inhibition of a variety of activities that the brain may be involved with. So GABA works better greater inhibition. Right. So this inhibition is what leads to anxiety reduction, sedation, muscle relaxation, and an ability to treat seizures. Now, Steve, benzodiazepines rarely lead to death by themselves, but they're a major cause of overdose when combined with other substances like alcohol, other sedative hypnotics, or opioids. And when mixed, they can be fatal. Compared to other mind and mood-altering substances, how common is addiction to benzodiazepines? Addiction to benzodiazepines is really quite unusual, and I would say even rare in my entire clinical practice, which uh, spans uh, now about 38 years. Uh, I only saw benzodiazepine agonist uh, addiction twice, uh, one to Zolpidem and another one to Alprazolam. And in those circumstances, it was true uh, addiction that was found in those individuals. So benzodiazepines are usually used non-medically to enhance other addiction-prone substances or to ameliorate uh, help with the side effects of other addiction-prone substances. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners, alprazolam is Xanax and Zolpidem is Ambien. Steve, we use a variety of medications to reduce pain. 
How often are the benzodiazepines actually used, though? We don't know exactly how often uh, to uh, treat pain in and of itself. We do know that somewhere between 10 and 33% of individuals that are on opioids will also have a benzodiazepine prescription uh-huh. at the same time. Within that group, some individuals uh, are prescribed benzodiazepines for pain, but probably the majority of those individuals, they're prescribed for the concurrent problems such as anxiety or insomnia. You know, I rarely prescribe benzodiazepines for pain, yet benzodiazepines are used for a variety of pain conditions like low back pain, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, even osteoarthritis. Yet if you look at the evidence, there really is no good data on effectiveness for any of these conditions. But how about for muscle spasms? Data really is insufficient in that regard. Uh, There are some suggestive possibilities, but in large part, Uh, Data indicates that it's not beneficial in those circumstances. Okay, but what about patients who have spasticity related to stroke, spinal cord injury, or multiple sclerosis? Yes, it it can be done. Uh, The real question comes up is how long can you be successful at sustaining or continuing that kind of treatment and expect that the benefit will be uh, ongoing? Mm -hmm. For periodic treatment, Uh, circumstances where spasticity and spasms occur uh, and intermittent use, probably effective and useful. For daily uh, ongoing uh, use, we do not know the answer to that. Earlier, you mentioned two painful disorders for which the benzodiazepines have shown good data. One is stiff person syndrome, and the other is burning mouth syndrome. For stiff person syndrome, which is a rare autoimmune disorder, how are the benzodiazepines helpful? Those individuals do respond to benzodiazepines, and uh, if I recall correctly, it was it, diazepam and clonazepam has been looked at in that context, and there it has been shown to be significantly effective and, in fact, is first-line treatment for the pain associated with uh, stiff person syndrome. And after the break, we'll find out about burning mouth syndrome and how effective benzodiazepines are for that condition. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, which leads in determining, providing, and supporting evidence-based prescribing and deprescribing of benzodiazepines to significantly reduce their adverse outcomes. An educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. We're here with Dr. Stephen Wright, medical consultant for the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Steve, talk to us more in depth about burning mouth syndrome and how these medications can be useful. Both the clonopin and uh, Valium are uh, useful in that particular condition. There we do see that 14 days of exposure and then discontinuation is beneficial with sustained uh, benefit after that. And the clonazepam probably has the better data than diazepam in that context. And it can be used either orally or it can be used uh, submucosally in the mouth, uh, dissolving. Okay. Now, although addiction is less common with the benzodiazepines, physiological dependence is common. But how common is it? Well, there we have a lot of different studies that uh, are all over the map in that regard. And those studies range from anywhere from 20% to 100% of individuals. So physiologic dependence is sort of a two-part thing. Mm-hmm. It's tolerance and what works at the beginning after I take it for a while, I need a higher dose to get the intended benefit. Right. And then uh, withdrawal syndrome, which is the 
characteristic symptoms that occur when I discontinue or rapidly reduce a medication or then this interesting thing that sometimes happens called interdose withdrawal where a declining blood level, therefore a declining level in the brain actually creates withdrawal while I'm still taking the agent. Steve, when do withdrawal symptoms typically begin? It varies from person to person and there has been evidence that you can develop uh, dependence uh, that is felt in a clinical way even after about a week's worth of use. Mm. It is much more likely that you're going to have uh, a withdrawal response if you've been on the agent for more than a month. Right, more than a month. Now, with acute withdrawal, we typically see things like increase in blood pressure, increase in heart rate, uh, agitation, anxiety, sometimes tremor, nightmares, ringing in the ears, and diarrhea and nausea. And with high-dose withdrawal, you can see seizures and even death. But Dr. Wright, what are the three forms of withdrawal, and how long do they last? There's sort of a, an artificial timeline that we think about, and, and that is acute withdrawal, maybe subacute withdrawal, and then protracted or persistent withdrawal. And, mm-hmm. But I see a lot in the literature that uh, the acute withdrawal is described for the for about a three to four week period of time and uh, protracted beyond, uh, say, six weeks. Uh, so uh, subacute withdrawal is sort of that intervening period. Now, doctors and patients are less aware of the potential for withdrawal symptoms to last for several months or even several years. This is called a protracted withdrawal syndrome, or you call it a benzodiazepine injury syndrome. What's this all about? We have found that some individuals, even after complete discontinuation of benzodiazepines, even after months or even years of tapering the medication, will continue to have symptoms well beyond the time that they completely stopped that medication. So injury, I think, more appropriately applies to this circumstance because, yes, it may resolve ultimately, but we're not sure because there are a number of individuals out there that have continued symptoms even 10 or more years after they've fully stopped these agents. And it's the same set of symptoms that occurred during the tapering process that suggests that it is indeed a, a related to the benzodiazepine discontinuation and not something else. Even though this syndrome might only affect 10 to 15 percent of people who are using chronic benzodiazepines, I mean, that might amount to more than a million people in the United States alone. Steve, tell us specifically what kind of symptoms you see in patients with benzodiazepine injury syndrome. The categories are psychological symptoms, neurophysiologic, and then somatic. And the psychological symptoms that includes anxiety, things that I might not expect like derealization, depersonalization. In the neurophysiologic symptom category, there are a variety of things there too, such as hypersensitivity to sound, taste, touch, smell, and these can be really quite intense. Mm -hmm. And then the somatic symptoms could be cardiovascular responses or GI responses that uh, may well be neurophysiologic in character. Right. You know, I've read that this process may be more dangerous than using opioids non-medically. Other symptoms that patients experience with this benzodiazepine injury syndrome include things like a tingling sensation across their body pain and stiffness in various parts of their body, hand and jaw tremors, myoclonic jerks, which are shock-like movements, ataxia, which is a general lack of muscular control and balance, visual disturbances, 
gastrointestinal disturbances, and even flu-like symptoms that include weakness and dizziness, uh, but no fever. Dr. Wright, this was an eye-opening discussion, and I thank you very much for joining us today on Aches and Gains. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You won't want to miss part two of the show when Dr. Wright explores how the benzodiazepine injury syndrome really is a separate chronic illness, how it's treated, and what, if anything, can be done to prevent it. Also, our first guest, Carrie Silvernail, will join us again. She'll share the all-encompassing nature of this syndrome on her life, how her family and friends responded, and what she'd recommend to others thinking about using benzodiazepines. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. Thanks for listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.